And uh, Stats, I don't, I don't know. Uh, why, why, why are you thinking of that? Uh, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? The dad asked his son. It was 5,372. Oh, said the dad. Why did you stop there? Because church was over. <laughs> We're in the middle of this series here at St. Mary's called Love Your Church. Uh, and already we've looked at what, it, what does it mean to belong to the family of God. And, and, and in baptism, that's one of the beautiful expressions of what it is like to be a part of the family of God, this new community of faith called the church. Last week, we were thinking about why is it so important to be committed to coming to church weekly and to taking part in the life of the church as a response to God's love for us. And today, I want to begin turning outwards as we start to think about how we relate to one another and care for one another. If you were to ask folks in the community today how they would describe the people here at St. Mary's, how do you think they would describe us? Or how would they describe Christians, generally speaking? Uh, We know what people were saying about Christians uh, back uh, a long time ago in the second century because the historian Tertullian tells us, you want to know what he recorded people as saying back then about the Christians? He said this, see how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. That's a a pretty compelling vision, isn't it? Something that no doubt each of us would want to experience in our our own lives, that that level of love and affection and care for one another. Uh, But would that be, do you think, how people describe us? How we love one another, that we'd even die for one another? Or would they say something rather like, behold, how they criticize one another, Behold how they gossip about one another. Behold how polite they are toward one another to their face, but authentically caring, maybe not so much. Uh, Tony Merida, in his book that I've been referring to in the series, uh, continues, and and he says this, sadly, he says, uh, there's far too much brother bashing and sister smashing going on today in person and online, and there's not enough biblical one anothering. One anothering. What do we mean by that? Hearing something like that, it's, it's hard to hear. It's hard to take. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be a part of that. And, and so this morning, we want to think about how we become an even more caring church here at St. Mary's. Because throughout the New Testament, over and over again, we get this picture, this beautiful picture of of how we should relate to one another as God's people. Paul tells us in his letters that we are to love one another with a brotherly affection. He says we're to honor one another, instruct one another, care for one another. Uh, We are through love to serve one another. In this morning's passage, he tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. He tells us that we are to bear with one another in love, to be kind to one another, uh, to submit to one another, to value other people above ourselves, looking to the interests of others and not to our own. 
We're to encourage one another, always seeking to do good to one another. Last week in Hebrews, we we heard how we are called to spur one another on to love and good deeds. James tells us that we're not to speak evil or grumble about one another, but confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. Peter tells us that we're to show hospitality to one another, responding in humility to one another. These and and more are the one-anothering scriptures, verses in the scripture that remind us of, uh, of how we should behave as God's people to one another. And of course, they all point back to what Jesus tells us in John's gospel, that we are to love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you should love one another. And he goes on and he says, all men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When it comes to how we relate to one another and how we live and work together as the family of God, the bar is high. And at this point, I just want to make a comment to to say that I know that there are some here, even today, either here present in church or maybe listening online. And looking back, you can say that that kind of love hasn't been your experience at church, either here or somewhere else. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm sorry. Sadly, because none of us are, are perfect, we're, we're all on this journey to becoming more like Jesus, and, and there are times when each of us gets it wrong. And, and I think we have to be honest about that, and we have to own that. But sometimes our expectations about how the church should care for us also need to be challenged just as I think we need to allow God and His Word to challenge our hearts to consider how we might need to be part of the solution to the problem of the lack of care that we might be feeling ourselves. Because if we look at how the Bible tells us to relate with one another, we find a beautiful picture of what church can be when we learn to care and be cared for within the family of God. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul uh, has been outlining in the lead up to our passage here in chapter 6 what it looks like to live as a child of God. Uh, To be a true Christian, he says, is to lead a life that's been changed by the Holy Spirit, who energizes us and gives us new desires so that now our lives can be characterized no longer as wanting to indulge the the sinful desires of the flesh, but rather now to be focused on living for God. And that will be a life that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And it's no surprise that the first characteristic of that fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our life is love. I know, shocking, isn't it? To think that the true mark of a Christian and a Christian life is not found in some dramatic or miraculous signs that a person can do, not being able to to speak in tongues or do wonders or whatever like that, but simply in the quiet and loving way we display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives towards others, and particularly how we relate with one another in Christ. 
Love one another, Jesus said. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But what should that love look like? Because the world has many different ideas and pictures of what love is, doesn't it? And how is Christian love different to those other kinds of love? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us now in our passage this morning, he tells us first off that we are to be concerned for one another's spiritual well-being. He says that we are to, to bear uh, one another's burdens. He says that we are to invest in the kingdom of God, and then we are to show love in practical ways. And let me take each of those in turn. But before I do, I want you to see that throughout the passage here, if you've got your Bible open, it's been following along, there's a wonderful recognition by Paul here that, that when you come to Christ, that doesn't mean that suddenly everything will be rainbows and unicorns. It, it doesn't mean that suddenly life will go swimmingly. Jesus Himself said, no, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world, He says. And Paul is being very realistic here in our passage this morning. Sometimes our trouble is self-inflicted through bad choices and bad decisions that we make. Sometimes our trouble is the result of other people's sinfulness towards us, or even the sinfulness of our world that creates unjust structures and systems in society that we sometimes are burdened by. The first mark of our love towards one another certainly falls under the first, that self-inflicted category, the result of our own sin. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to care enough for one another to be concerned for one another's spiritual well-being, verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. One of the things that we believe here and that the Bible teaches us is that no one is perfect. Can we all say that together? No one is perfect. Not you and not me. No one is perfect, and all of us are susceptible to following, following into sin. And, and so, we need to watch ourselves, Paul tells us. Because here's the thing, on this side of heaven, our hope is not that we will become sinless, perfect saints. No, it's that we will sin less as we become more and more like Jesus. As we allow God's Word to wash our hearts and our minds, and as we allow God by His Holy Spirit to transform us and make us more like Him. And this spiritual journey is sometimes a spiritual fight, and so we need God's help. But Paul tells us that we also need one another to lovingly encourage one another on this journey, to stand with each other, to strengthen each other for the fight, and to be there even when things go wrong. And notice here the purpose of our being there for others. It's not to stand in judgment over them. It's not to, to condemn the person, but with gentleness, seeing uh, and with in view of seeing that person restored in their relationship with Jesus Christ and the church community. And in that sense, if a brother or sister is trapped in sin, we need one another to be there in order to be able to help spring the trap, to set them free. Tim Keller points out in his commentary on this passage that the word Paul actually uses here for this work of restoring one another 
was actually used for setting dislocated bones back into place. And if you've ever experienced that, like a dislocated finger or whatever, you know it's a painful experience. And it's painful uh, if you're not anesthetized with painkiller in order to be able to set it back in place. It, It hurts, but it's necessary to have that done because if you don't have it done, then you'll never experience the healing that your finger needs. Your finger won't ever be able to work properly again because it'll be out of joint. And this is the way it is with us spiritually. When we become trapped in sin, when we fall into sin, if we don't do something about it, we're stuck. We don't work the way we're supposed to do. Now, a few practical points here. Paul tells us that the one who is doing the restoring should be spiritual. As we've already said, this doesn't mean perfect because nobody's perfect. Nor does it mean that they're the righteousness police, that they go around with a baseball bat and, or whatever, and they're, they're ready to bash people over. That. That's not what this is about. What it does mean is that they are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul's been talking about in Galatians 5. Uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to the ultimate restorer, Jesus Christ himself. And really, this is what we should all be doing, each of us, in our own lives, And for others, pointing people to Jesus. It's not just the ministers. Paul doesn't say this is just what the ministers do. No, it's not just the ministers or the really holy people. If you're a Christian, Paul tells us you live by the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 25. And so he tells us that part of the Christian life is to keep in step with the Spirit. And this leads to our being spiritual, verse 1. We don't have time to go too much more into depth here with us today, but this isn't the only place that the Bible tells us that we should be concerned about one another's spiritual well-being. Because as we were hearing even on Thursday night here at the gathering at church, my sin, the sin in my life, affects you all. In the same way that your sin affects all of us. We don't sin on our own, isolated. Our sin affects one another. Sin in our lives makes us cool and distant from God, and it also separates us from one another. And and that's why confession is something that we do here together on Sunday mornings. It's why it's something that we need to be so mindful of in our daily lives as we come before the Lord daily and recognize our need for His forgiveness and grace. It's why in our dealings with one another, we have to keep short accounts. We want to be in right relationship with God and one another, so let's make sure that there's nothing in our own lives or nothing between us that's holding us back. Let's look out for one another. Let's care for one another. If we see others trapped in sin, we gently, gently rebuke and lovingly care for them and seek to free them from the trap, to restore them where it's needed, and likewise be prepared for others to do the same for you when you get stuck as well. Secondly, moving on here, uh, we need to bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, it's impossible to go through this life without at some point or another being weighed down by challenges, setbacks, disappointments, disillusionments, the burdens that we all will face. 
And whether those burdens are relational or financial, or whether it's to do with your job or your home life, whether it's to do with sickness or losing a loved one, whether it's simply down uh, to, to finding yourself in difficult circumstances where you find that every day you're just struggling to get by. At some point or another, Paul tells us, we will all find ourselves struggling under the weight of life's burdens. But when we are there for one another, we can help lighten the load. Not only that, but Paul tells us that in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, showing that we truly do love God and that we are loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, just a few practical points on this one. When it comes to bearing other people's burdens, there's no room for pride or feelings of superiority here. Uh, You may not be dealing with the same burden that the next person is dealing with in your life, but don't deceive yourself and think that you're something because you're not dealing with that. That's what Paul tells us here. Don't don't deceive yourself in thinking that you're somehow better than the next person. This isn't a comparison game here. When When it comes to helping one another by bearing one another's burdens, by loving one another enough to carry each other's burdens, there's no room for comparison, Paul says in verse 4. The second practical point to make here is that there are no such things as, there are things such as burdens and then there are loads to carry. He talks about loads in verse 5. And Paul tells us that we are to carry our own load, but we are to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, there are some things in life that we just need to realize are part of life's daily tasks, daily loads. We all need to work hard in, in order to, to, to be places on time, to take responsibility for the commitments that we make, to do our work diligently as unto the Lord. We all need to do what we can to provide financially for our family and for ourselves. We all have to work to make our relationships with one another better. Sometimes that's hard work. But then there are burdens in our lives that we don't manufacture. But those burdens put great strain on our lives. You lose your job. Your benefits are changed and finances become impossibly strained and and you're struggling with food or heat or electric. A loved one dies or you're left trying to raise the kids on your own or you're left emotionally distressed because of the behavior or bad decisions of a loved one, or your health is in trouble and you're worried about the future. These are things that we should be helping one another with, burdens that we should be sharing. But here's the thing, if you don't share that you're in need, no one will know. There's no way others will know that you need help unless you say. The last thing to say is that just like the work of restoring our brothers and sisters who fall into sin, Paul tells us that bearing one another's burdens and caring for one another pastorally is not just my job. It's not just the job of the person who has uh, this thing strapped around their neck. Uh, It's your job too. Paul is speaking to all of us here, and he's telling us that we should all be looking out for one another. So when it comes to the pastoral work of the church, yes, I take the lead on that for the parish, but we are all called to care pastorally 
for one another, to do the work of listening, of caring, of helping to make one another's burdens lighter, and supporting those who are wounded and hurting by life. So if, if someone in the church visits you, and it doesn't happen to be me, and they don't happen to be wearing a collar, if somebody from this church visits you at home or in hospital, and it doesn't happen to be me, you have still been visited by the church. And it's just as powerful, and it's just as significant. And if you are the one doing the visiting, don't miss out on the opportunity to be spiritually aware of what's going on around you, to be spiritually supportive in prayer of your brother or sister who is in need, to pray for them. And and don't miss out on the opportunity when you encounter need to, to help meet that need in practical ways. And if you can't meet it, to help the church find ways of being able to practically step in and support the person who is in need as well. Thirdly, we're to invest into the kingdom, verse 6. Uh, when, when we give our lives to following Jesus Christ, we enter into new life, into his kingdom. And, and in verse 6, Paul tells us that the right response here is to invest our lives in the kingdom of God. And that will mean practically investing in the kingdom through your financial giving, Paul tells us helping to support me and the other uh, ministry workers that the church employs to help uh, to lead and facilitate the work and mission here, as well as to help support the mission partners that we, we partner with and the agencies we partner with as a church. As I've shared before, when it comes to running this church, uh, there's no subsidy for these salaries. There's no subsidy for our running costs that come from outside the church. Everything that we do is supported by you and is made possible by us. And so God calls us to give to the work of the church, to make the work of the church possible. We are responsible for making our own way. And in the same way that we are responsible for paying for our buildings and renovations, the same applies. And Paul tells us here that that we all have a part to play through our regular giving or through other gifts to help fund the work and the ministries of the church. And a big thank you to all of you for your generosity in that. But You know, I would love to see us in the days ahead to be able to grow in our capacity, to be able to grow as a church, uh, to to be able to to help grow our ministry among youth and families and outreach in our community. And something like that can only happen if we grow our staff, and that can only happen if our giving were to increase. You know, I, I know that we are moving through difficult times financially where we're all feeling the pinch, but Paul's challenge is that we should always be aware of the work of the kingdom and that our role is in trying to support that in however we can. In addition to financial giving, part of our role will come in the form of investing into the kingdom in our own lives spiritually, to grow our own personal holiness and relationship with the Lord, to see His kingdom come and will be done more and more in my life and in yours. This is what Paul gets at next when he talks about sowing and reaping. Uh, We looked at this at harvest time last year, so I'll not say too much more, but when we sow to the Spirit in our lives, we reap the fullness of life that Christ offers us. 
And we can do this through setting aside time daily uh, to to spend time with God in His Word, to read God's Word, to learn what He says to us, to to spend time in prayer, speaking to God, hearing Him speak to us. We should be setting aside time weekly in order to join together among God's people here in worship. We should be setting aside time to engage in smaller groups and ministries in, in the church. As we learn to minister to and serve one another in love. We do all of this intentionally as we seek to become more like Jesus Christ in our own life, through our words, through what we do with our lives, through what we do for entertainment, through the books we read, the people we hang out with, how we live our lives, the things that we allow to saturate our hearts and our minds And all of this uh, we do, we seek to become more like Jesus. We grow in holiness. In the same way earlier, as I said, my sin affects you as a church and your sin affects us because we become distant from God and distant from one another and we cool off. In the same way, my holiness blesses you and your holiness blesses us. We see God's kingdom come in our lives and more and more through this place. And so we're called to live lives of spirit-filled godliness. And once more, we all have a part to play in this. We all have a responsibility, and Paul calls us to play our part. And the point is that none of us are simply to be consumers, to come to church just for what we can get out of church, without then significantly giving of ourselves to the life of of the church and to building Christ's kingdom in this place. Paul says you need to be careful to sow to the Spirit for the good of your own soul and for the good of your brothers and sisters here at St. Mary's for the glory of God. Lastly, and I'll try to be brief here, Paul tells us that we need to live lives of practical goodness, verses 9 and 10. When love sees a need, it acts. That's what Jesus did. He saw how broken our sinful hearts were. He saw that there was no way that you or I could do anything of ourselves in order to save ourselves, to set us free from the trap that had so ensnared our hearts and our lives that kept us from being able to have that relationship with him that we were made for. And so what did he do? He came down. He came right down into the heart of our brokenness into the heart of our broken world in order to die on the cross for you and for me so that we could have life. And in the same way, when we see other people in need in the world around us, uh, when we see others broken by sin, broken by the world, broken by life circumstances, struggling under the weight of it all, our job isn't just to sit back and rubberneck as we drive past. We're each called to to be proactive in doing good, to to help those in need. Each of us are called for that. Whether it's doing good things for our neighbors and friends or colleagues or visiting the sick or helping to collect prescriptions or taking food to those who need it, whether it's listening to the hurting or drawing us alongside the wounded brother or sister in Christ, whether it's welcoming foster kids or refugees into our homes, visiting the elderly who can't get out anymore to church, mowing grass for a neighbor, giving our time, our talents, our treasures, or you fill in the blank to help others in need. We can all do something 
We may not have all the answers. We may individually not have all the capacity in order to help a particular need, but together, as a church, when we come together, we're stronger. Together, we can meet needs that God puts in our path as we are able. And again, we won't always get this right. But Paul tells us that we should be looking for opportunities to help one another, to do good to all, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And of course, uh, keeping on with doing good and investing in our lives for the church, the kingdom, keeping on resisting, uh, treating, resisting evil and, and treating one another with love and respect and care. You know, all of that's a challenge. It's not easy. I'm not saying it is. Restoring those trapped in sin and bearing one another's burdens is a, is a careful and, and, and is a painstaking task. Paul knew this. And so he says, don't give up. Don't give up in this work of caring for one another. Don't give up in doing good to one another because in keeping going, we'll reap a harvest of righteousness in our lives and in our life together for the glory of God. Let's pray. And as we do, as we respond to God's Word this morning, I wonder as we just bow our heads, as we close our eyes, I wonder whether there's a brother or sister in Christ or someone you know who comes to mind, someone who, someone's, a, a brother or sister in Christ who's fallen into sin and who's trapped and who needs help to be restored. Maybe someone comes to mind who is struggling under life's burdens, and you know Maybe there's some way God is calling you to be more intentional about building his kingdom through your life and witness. Or there's some need that you're aware of and you can do something about it or bring it to the church. How might God be calling you to act and show Christ's love today? And with the help of God's Spirit, shining his spotlight on your life? Is there something going on in your own personal life to do with your own holiness that the Holy Spirit wants you to look at this morning? Partner with God to do something about it today. Father, help us to be a people who are known for loving one another and for loving those around us. Help us to be a people who are concerned for one another's needs and who care practically enough to help bear burdens and meet needs for the sake of Jesus Christ. And help each of us to increasingly become more like Jesus as we become the, uh, that one another people that we've called to be, looking out for those in need, doing something to help, showing love where we can. May we not become weary in doing good, but strengthen us by your Spirit, to live for you, for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.